And welcome back to Workers Power. Well, not back to the show's just starting. Uh, here on Four Triple Z, I'm Jackson, and Hannah is here with me. Hello. Uh, you just listened to Australian Mutiny by Tawny Hawk, and then we just listened to Rubbish by Mitch Please. So we don't have any guests on this show, but we have got plenty of um, cool stories from around the continent and the world. Um, And, of course, we have our world-famous scallywag of the week. Yep, you just get to listen to me and Jackson blabber on for a couple of hours, so settle in, comrades. Uh, But before we start, of course, we need to acknowledge that the traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast are the Yagara and Terrible people. This land was stolen, never ceded, and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge all First Nations comrades listening today, and we stand in solidarity with First Nations people in their struggle for recognition, reparations and land rights. We live in benefit on stolen land, and it's time to pay the rent. It is. So we might jump into some First Nation workers' action. This first story is by Stefan Armbruster from SBS News. Queensland's first all-women Aboriginal ranger crew are carrying out a cool burn in the state's tropical far north when the flames are suddenly stoked by a gust of wind. A quick discussion over a two-way radio and a split-second decision to put the fire out show their training in action. If you have to put it out put it out. I think we're going to have to because it's too hot. The crew are part of the Gurigun Aboriginal Corporation Rangers, based in the coastal town of Cardwell, and have been taking on the uncontroversial roles of conducting cool burns across the region. Unconventional, sorry. Cool burning, also referred to as cultural burning, sees small controlled blazes lit to clear the undergrowth and reduce the amount of damage a hot wildfire can cause to the ecosystem. This was their second time conducting one in Gimaroi country without their, ma- their male colleagues and was led by ranger coordinator Cindy Lou Togo. It's good to have that connection with country, with fire, she tells SBS News. It brings back the natural growth and it shows the elders that we're trying to bring back the traditional way of burning country. Miss Togo is from Bundjalung country in northern New South Wales but has lived in the region for two decades, ten of which she has worked as a ranger. It's changed my life. I never thought I'd become a ranger, but I like being outdoors and looking after country is awesome, she says. It's a bit like cleaning your house, you know. You've got to clean your house and make everything look good. So a burn is like cleaning the floor to make everything look good. And she's inspiring the next generation of young women rangers. The elders will be proud. They might have younger generations going, oh yeah, well they, can, they got it, we can do it too. Recognition of traditional burning practices in maintaining Australia's landscape and its incorporation into contemporary methods isn't just improving the health of the environment. The women have also been bringing social, cultural and economic benefits to their people. It'll give them more tickets when they get out into the world, Ms Togo says. Even if they go work somewhere else, that's fine. They'll still have some tickets under their belt to go out into the real world from the ranger position. Traditional owners have also ignited the passion and love for Gimaroi country and culture among the new recruits. Not growing up this way, I didn't know too much about it, Ranger Olivia Muka says. Within the last two and a half years, I feel like I've learned a lot more and met a lot of people, that are, a lot of family that I didn't know about. Miss Muka says the work also pays respects to generations who came before her. It gives the recognition to people who were here long before colonisation. You're never going to forget what they went through and the people who grew up back then to make this what it is now. Cool burns are predominantly seen in northern Australian regions where caring for country programs allow traditional owners to burn according to seasonal need and cultural knowledge. In Cardwell, the rangers are working together with environmental scientists to preserve and restore wildlife habitats. Yeah, so we have uh, we often do uh, these kinds of stories talking about the um, ways that Indigenous people are using their cultural practices to look after the environment, and I think this is especially important now that we're approaching summer again. Oh yes, bushfire season. Yeah, well, it's predicted not to be as bad this year. Well, everything's already been burnt. <laughs> yes, <laughs> everything's already been burnt, but hopefully we're going to get a lot of rain um, this year. But yeah, it's good to see 
um, this change slowly happening, I suppose. Um, yeah, Indigenous people taking care of country. Yeah, it's like very important because, as we know, Indigenous people have the knowledge to look after country, and and they should be the ones to have like c- control over it. Yeah, responsibility. W- for white it. people just came over and kind of stuffed it all up for a really long time. (laughs) Yeah, and um, one thing I've been seeing said about uh, cultural burning is that it's important to note that it's not the only cultural practice that we should focus on. There's like a whole world of cultural practices of looking after the environment that Indigenous people do that really don't get as much um, focus as cultural burning does. Yeah, agriculture I think is a really big one that um, I follow. It's slowly starting to make um, a comeback. I think there's been quite a few groups down in Victoria. I think there's one. They've been growing um, native, native seeds like what am I trying to say? Like, like native, native grasses? Mm. Yeah, so it's good. Let's do yeah, more of that. Yeah, I, I saw that a program like that being led by Bruce Pascoe. Yes, good old Bruce. Book. He's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for our next story, we've got a local action, uh, which happened this morning, 7.45am, which we don't have a lot of information on it, though. So there was a solidarity action with the Jabberung Heritage Protection Embassy this morning, and the which took place outside the local headquarters of the CPB contractors who were profiting from the cultural genocide in their role as one of the contractors in the Western Highway Duplication Project, which is threatening to destroy a lot of sacred trees and land to the Jabberung people. Um, yeah, they just recently cut down a direction tree, which was... Um, I can't really uh, understand how horrible it would feel, but, um, yeah, it, <laughs> it was really, really horrible and all to save a few minutes commuting time. Um, and Vic government is still determined to push ahead with this. Um, yeah, they'd rather erode than this these amazing sacred trees. Yeah, all the Jabbering people have been evicted from that area and the area has been occupied by police. Um, luckily, I sort of, the uh, judge uh, put an injunction on works until the 19th of November, but that's in two days, so we'll see yeah. how things go after that. Um, anyway, in relation to this action, uh, what we've looked like we've got for pictures here, we've got a bunch of people holding a big banner that says No Trees, No Treaty, Solidarity with Jabberung, and they've brought a bunch of leaves into the lobby of the headquarters. Oh, cool. <laughs> and now we're moving on to some workers' action, and we've got a story from Griffith University, which is of personal interest to me as I'm a Griffith student myself. Yes. So, staff at Griffith University are at breaking point. A federal government that refuses to fund universities properly, that refuses to support the industry with JobKeeper, and now staff suffer under radical re- recon- restructure that will see job losses and a further diminution. I can never Diminution. Say Thank you. In the provision of quality tertiary education in Queensland. On the 2nd of November 2020, Griffith University released the Proposal for Workplace Change Roadmap to Sustainability, R2S, advising that they plan to withdraw some courses at the Queensland College of Art in 2021. If these proposals are progressed, the Queensland College of Art will lose 44% of their teaching staff across fine art and photography and 16.7% in design. This is in addition to the many seasonal and technical staff whose contributions are invaluable to the education and development of students and the maintenance of the studios. Griffith University has one of the leading art schools in the country and is one of two universities in Australia that offers a dedicated Bachelor of Photography and is the only art school in Queensland that specialises in offering studio-based programs Across its rich 140-year history, the staff, facilities and alumni of QCA have continued to be internationally recognised for their academic and studio excellence. 
With these proposed changes, the unique teaching skills, technical support and studio resources essential for the future growth of these communities will be lost to Queensland forever. This will have severe ramifications for the future of the visual arts industry in Brisbane, affecting current students' experience, potential career opportunities and future employability. Without specialised studio-based and practice-led programs, what can the Queensland College of Art offer that other creative programs do not? The NTEU is holding a community rally in support of the staff and in support of quality education at Griffith University. It will be held out the back of the Queensland Conservatorium near the ABC and the Wheel of Brisbane at midday on Friday the 20th of November. Yeah, so this is... Uh, just more another example of the government and universities and stuff defunding the arts. Yeah, and it really highlights the problems of like basing things on profit in general. Yes, neoliberalism once again. So if you do care about the arts, um, even if you don't really care about the arts, just get along. Anyways, so that's this Friday. Yes, this Friday yeah. at midday. And um, it's not just about. Um, the whole defunding of the arts thing. It's also just about the lack of funding from the government to universities in general. Yeah, which is an ongoing issue which we've talked about a fair bit on this show and will continue to follow because um, yeah, but yeah under under neoliberalism they want us just to be good little good little worker ants, neoliberal zombies and um, they don't value a lot of, you know, all well, the arts for one you know, they can cut that (laughs) (laughs) yeah and this uh it makes a good point in here about how like by cutting it it's not just like we'll have less of an arts industry in queensland for a little while until it gets built back up again or something but um this sort of cutting off of it is uh like I'm not sure what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it, 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 like, cu- it's like cutting it off will diminish it for ages. It like um, sort of yeah, it's something we should it it, yeah. It'll take a really long time to recover. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's something <laughs> we should be building up instead of cutting back. Where, well, technically, you know, we're a rich country. We should be able to pump money into these sorts of things. But as you said, Jack, some profit. Um, is the end goal <laughs> for 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 a lot of policy? Um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, was this, this is something we really need to to follow. Not only yeah the cutting of the funding to the arts, but also yeah the attack on um, tertiary education on tertiary educators who are being casualised, and yeah, as students, both Jackson and I um, are very very concerned. I'm concerned for my children what it'll be like for them when they want to go and do some higher education. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, just to reiterate, that is on Friday the 20th of November at midday in South Bank near the ABC and the Wheel of Brisbane. Yes, so get along, comrades. And now we're going to move on to some more workers' action and we have an action from the Transport Workers' Union. We do. So the Transport Workers Union is currently engaged in a dispute with CleanAway, the contractor that delivers waste services to the Moreton Bay Regional Council. During previous EBA negotiations, CleanAway promised their workforce that if they took a lower pay increase, the next EBA they would be rewarded with a higher one. Yeah, right. (laughs) These workers took that deal in good faith and now CleanAway is attempting to renege on their commitment. Surprise, surprise. CleanAway have announced over $100 in profits in the last financial year and have been busier than ever during the current pandemic. These workers have been on the front line ensuring community safety by performing a vital service. Now CleanAway is attempting to use the pandemic to offer them a deal that would leave them worse off. Never let a good crisis go to waste, as Bill always says. CleanAway needs to immediately stop trying to take away these workers' hard-earned conditions, agree to a deserved and fair pay increase, and let them get on with their jobs. Industrial action is always a last resort. 
These workers have negotiated and compromised as much as they can, but now they're ready to take the fight to clean away. As an update, Top Tom from TWU yesterday told Workers Power, the strike went well today. Clean Away brought in outside labour at a great cost and appear to have still been very short-staffed and unfortunately decided they also needed to hire private security to guard the yard where we were gathering. Pretty disappointing that they thought they would need security from their own workforce who were simply trying to achieve a better deal. The workforce endorsed further industrial action which will be communicated later this week. That's pretty exciting stuff. A um, strike amongst the garbage people. Yeah, <laughs> garbage people. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're a pretty popular example of like they're the people who are treated worst by society. But if they stopped working, everything's going to go to shit. Yes, exactly. It reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons. I don't know if you watched much Simpsons when you were younger. <laughs> yeah, anyway, the whole town ends up full of rubbish and everyone's like, no, please come back to work. Yeah. <laughs> so pay them properly. That are oh, the definition of essential workers as far as I'm concerned. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want my garbage, you know, piling up out the front of my house. No one really wants that. So, yes, clean away. Get your act together and pay your workers properly. Follow, follow up on the deal that you made previously and yes i'm pretty excited to see how this strike goes yeah yeah i was reading a little bit about it yesterday there's a lot of solidarity in the community people making signs to stick on their bins to yeah show solidarity with the workers so yeah hopefully things don't have to get too messy (laughs) (laughs) literally yeah before this is resolved but um i'm sure we'll have an update on it next week hopefully and I think one more thing that it demonstrates is that you should never compromise with your boss because they're always yeah. going to stab you in the back. Always go hard or um, the first time, get what you need, never compromise. Unfortunately, yes. And as I read that line, I'm like, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> they're not going to do that. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, they want to they wanna make as much money as they can. Well, I said they made $100 million in profit last year and they made that profit off the backs of these very hard-working people, as the bosses tend to do. It's capitalism for you. So anyway, solidarity and stand together and, yes, good luck with this strike. Negotiations are about getting power over your boss. It's never about good faith with them. Yes, and they need you, as this shows. This You know, they've had to splurge all this money on bringing in outside labour and private security um, and they could have just done the right thing in the first place hmm. and probably saved a bit of money. And, yeah, it wouldn't have been well, all this drama. I mean, they could have, but then they would have lost profits. Yeah, <laughs> not my precious profits. <laughs> yeah, and, um, <laughs> okay, so now we're going to move on to a story from Refugee Solidarity. Yesterday morning at 4am, guards coughed and transferred four of the KP-120 to Baita, a high-security prison out near the airport. They were four of the most vocal resistance fighters in the KP concentration camp. Their transfer was not a coincidence. When one of them asked why they were being transferred, a guard said, we can transfer anyone, anywhere, with no reason. Yeah, what grubs? One of our friends inside said, they're trying to make KP a silent hotel. <laughs> this is a political move by Australian Border Force, an attempt to stifle dissent, silence the resistance within, and weaken the movement for freedom. But they misunderstood. This isn't about a place or any one person. No wall or fence or transfer can stifle this movement. These people are the seeds of resistance. It doesn't matter where you try to bury them, a resistance will grow. There was a snap action yesterday to oppose this, organised by Refugee Solidarity outside Bita. What absolute, absolute grubs. I was so ashamed to call myself an Australian sometimes, especially when I read these, these stories. It's just... Yeah, how can we, how, how can you justify that? Oh, we can do whatever we want. We'll just snatch them up and hide them away and hopefully mm. everyone will forget, but we won't forget, will we? Yeah, this is... Uh, <laughs> it's a constant stain on, like, the history of this continent. Yeah, it's just ongoing, ongoing. <laughs> and, uh, like, I mean, we can hope it'll get fixed at some point. Will someone... 
we can <laughs> I don't know well, it takes power of the people we need to keep standing up together and saying that this isn't good enough um, these you know these are people who have gone through bloody hell already like for goodness sakes mm. yeah this yeah shame 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 yes hopefully we get eventually we'll get a strong movement that can actually make a difference in this area um, and now we've got a story from Uwu, the United Workers Union. <laughs> yes, so on Saturday afternoon, Bendigo dairy workers voted to accept a vastly improved offer from Lactalis after 10 days on strike. A huge win for these essential workers. Workers have won an average annual increase of 6.47%. This means from October 1st, 2020, workers will be a will be a minimum of $232 better off a week. An increase of almost 30% to permanent jobs on site with many casual workers to be immediately converted. A conversion clause that guarantees permanent jobs for future generations to come. A commitment to Bendigo's future with secure permanent jobs, a public commitment that Lactalis will not shut the site, and a $20 million investment for the Bendigo factory. And much more. Congratulations to the staunch Bendigo Dairy Union members on a hard-fought win. That is wonderful news. Good job. Yeah, and like... It's a huge win. They went on strike and they got a s- annual increase of 6.47%. And that, like, that's double the amount that you see when, uh, when I've been looking at like, um, public service stuff. They're talking about like, getting 3%. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. <laughs> Great job. See, this is what happens. You join your union, you get organised in your workplace and you stand together and you say, no, that's not good enough. We want more money. We want better you know we just want it all to be better so yes yeah, and the one big surprise for me is like they got such a huge win after only 10 days on strike yeah wonderful yeah, great like <laughs> <laughs> we love these stories like they the, make our day <laughs> <laughs> the um oi glass strike that went for months didn't mm. it and they <laughs> didn't even win unfortunately oh. but um, 10 days uh, with these guys and I suppose uh, the difference between OI Gloss and these Bendigo workers is that they, is that these, I'm assuming these folks have a, like a united workforce whereas unfortunately with OI Gloss it, only like half the workforce was going on strike. Yep, well there you go, you need to yes, be, stand united and we don't do it very often but Lactalis good on you for doing the right thing I suppose, it's wonderful. Who would have thought that being united would help a union? Yeah, <laughs> union, united. Oh, I get it. Nah. <laughs> united we stand, divided we fall. So we have some more workers' action for you. Uh, Uber and other rideshare drivers are earning an average of $12 an hour during the COVID-19 pandemic and 17% have been sexually harassed or assaulted by passengers, according to a new survey of the gig economy. A survey of 230 workers, 93% of whom work for Uber, has revealed a range of violent assaults, threats, racism and sexual harassment experienced by drivers. More than half of the drivers said they struggled to pay the bills and buy groceries, and 85% said their wages had decreased while working in the gig economy. The survey, conducted by the Transport Workers Union and the Rideshare Driver Network, also found 36% had been involved in a car accident while working. Individual responses revealed specific violent assaults and sexual sexual assaults that drivers experienced. Content warning. The next minute or so will contain descriptions of sexual assaults. One driver told the survey, I had my breast grabbed by a passenger. Another said a man whipped his dick out during the trip. One female driver told the survey, I picked up a man who thought he had a right to touch me and to tell me out loud what he would like to do with me rather than go home to his wife. Another driver said a drunk man was put into her Uber by a friend as he was too intoxicated to go home himself. The drunk man came to halfway through the trip and confused me as a woman he was taking home rather than a rideshare driver, she said. Once we arrived at his home, he refused to get out of my car and insisted I was his date. I was physically assaulted and sexually attacked. 
One male driver said he was sexually harassed by two women who asked me for my background and then groped him. I politely refused, saying I was a married man, he said. They forcefully touched me in my genitals. Another driver said a passenger threatened to shoot me, while another experienced multiple threats with a knife, multiple grabbing and punching. One driver said a group of four passengers once told him they would do panel work on my car with my head. Four young people were at a pub wanting to get in a car booked for only three, he said. I told them they couldn't and started saying they were about to do panel work on my car with my head. If I hadn't pointed out the security cameras, they would have gone through with it. 41% of those surveyed also said they experienced racism. People say to me all the time, migrants, go back to your country, one driver said. 85% of those surveyed said that their wage had dropped over the time they had been driving. The TWU calculated that the average hourly rate among the 230 drivers was $12.35 an hour after expenses such as fuel. 67% said they were not provided an additional safety training during any additional safety training during COVID-19. Many of the drivers worked for multiple apps, but 93% of those surveyed did some work for Uber, 62% did some work for Didi, and 52% for Ola. The National Secretary of the TWU, Michael Caine, said that the survey results showed that the gig economy needed to be regulated. Yeah, that's a pretty horrible story to hear. It is. That's, yeah, <laughs> very graphic um, and a big concern. It's something we haven't really heard about a lot up until now, is it? Yeah, it's the life that these people lead, constantly getting attacked. For bugger all money. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's like half of the minimum wage. Yeah, $12.35 an hour. Goodness me. Um, I like to catch an Uber as much as anyone because it is cheaper and really, really quick. But, um, yeah, obviously we need some regulation in this sector um, because this isn't good enough. These poor, these poor workers, uh, you wouldn't be able to do it for very long, I don't think. I, yeah. Yeah, and beyond regulation, we need the workers to work together, unite, get a union and uh, just fight for better conditions, I guess. Yes, so um, keep your ears open on this story because I'm sure there'll be developments to come as, um, as, the, these, this, as this is exposed more and more. Um, yeah. One interesting idea I've seen is the idea of a worker-owned um, rideshare platform because that's sort of, um, <laughs> it's a bit easier to do than with, uh, most um, industries because all you need to do is build an app, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, but and that would put a lot of the power into the workers' hands. Yeah, it would be interesting to find out how much um, Uber and the likes make off workers i don't know the figures but i'm assuming it's you know a pretty penny yeah um on the other hand i've heard that they actually lose a lot of money because oh, really how much they spend like um they were it's a pretty popular business model these days to just um basically hemorrhage money for the first couple of years of your existence until you manage to strangle the market and build a monopoly basically oh. okay um Though I don't know what the current situation with Uber is. This was, like, last year or something when I read this. Yeah, if you know, text us. We would love to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> On 0420 Or even if you've worked for Uber, you know, we'd love to hear um, worker experiences. That'd be wonderful. And while we're on the topic, if you haven't subscribed to 4ZZZ yet, then now is the time. It means that you'll be able to text in song requests. You'll get a deadly bumper sticker for your car. I haven't got the updated one yet. I got last year's one, but that one's, I'm still rocking it. Um, yeah, so subscribe, subscribe. Head to 4ZZZ.org.au forward slash support or call us up on 3252 It's $20 for pets, $20 for under 18s, 35 for concession. 
Full subscription is 70 bucks, all the way up to the super sub, which is $500, and you get a whole whole crap load of cool, cool stuff. Yeah, our subscribers and our sponsors keep this radio station being awesome. And, yeah, when you do subscribe, make sure that you tick Workers Power as your favourite show because we are wonderful and... Yeah, just because we like to like to flex. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're always very thankful to our subscribers for keeping us on the air. Yes, thank you. And now we are going to move back to some more workers' action, and you've got a thing for us about history. Yes, there's a little bit of, a little bit of history for us today. So this story is by Tom Crockford for the Brisbane Times. A Queensland researcher is challenging the origin story of trade unions in Australia, having unearthed examples of convict workers who arrived during the nation's colonisation standing up for their rights and working conditions by going on strike and escaping from labour sites. The nine-person research team is challenging the traditional narrative that unionism was born in the 1950s or with free settlers. Instead, the team is putting forward the case that it started with the nation's convicts. Griffith University senior history lecturer Dr Mike Davis said the research project, led by Monash University associate professor Tony Moore and due to finish in 2024, has revealed that numerous convicts were tried in the colonies for resistance, many for work-related dissent. The traditional narrative about the emergence of unionism is focused on the, on the 1850s with the Eureka Rebellion and the mobilisation of workers gathers speed in the 1890s with the Australian Depression and labour strikes of that period, said Dr Davis, who was also taking part in the project. Very early on, we have records of convicts organising strikes, withdrawing their labour and absconding. These actions challenged colonial authority and, in doing so, convicts effectively identified themselves as labourers as much as convicts. For the whole, convicts were a labour force and very often we get convicts convicts standing up for their rights and rebelling in one way or another. This organisation is what we can see as the foundation of unionism in Australia. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, um, I found that interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it's like... It's basically showing how everywhere there are oppressed people, there will be oppressed people fighting back. Yeah, I suppose it shouldn't come as too much of a surprise, really. Um, Yeah, (laughs) if they were being oppressed, then people weren't weren't happy about it, I suppose, and that's fair enough. Um, Yeah, it's interesting to see that narrative challenged. Um, Another thing is how it, it sort of challenges the idea that Australia was founded as a prison colony because um, obviously it wasn't just a prison colony, it was also a labour camp. Yeah, they, yes, they, yeah. The British were trying to colonise Australia and they needed workers to do that, so they just criminalised a whole bunch of people and got them to do the work. Yep. And obviously in response, people fought back, formed unions... <laughs> yeah, good on them. <laughs> That's fair enough. Which have been the weapons of the oh, not been talking to Mike. Which have been the weapons of the working class for basically forever. <laughs> yeah. So basically, this country was built on a whole crapload of oppression. <laughs> <laughs> Shock, surprise. Yeah. All uh, right. Do you have another story for us? I think Jackson. Yeah, uh, we've got one from New South Wales, where public sector workers are rallying against a pay cut. A Scrap the Wage Cuts rally was attended by several hundred nurses and other public sector workers outside New South Wales Parliament on November 16th, the day before the state's budget was delivered. It was sponsored by Unions New South Wales and seven public sector unions. Actions were also organised across the state. Brett Holmes, General Secretary of the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association, said... Our frontline workers, including nurses, were essential in in tackling the the bushfire in the COVID-19 pandemic. On the eve of the state budget, we call on New South Wales to reverse its cuts to public sector wages. Our essential services services workforce is at risk every day. They deserve much better recognition from this government. 
The Queensland, South Australian and Victorian governments have all allocated pay rises to nurses in those states, but their wages have been cut in New South Wales in real terms. Meanwhile, New South Wales public service top executives have been awarded 12.5% bonuses. Ugh. Angelo Gavrielatos, a secretary of the New South Wales Teachers Federation, said teachers and other public sector workers are, valuable, are valued at a miserable 1.5%, and TAFE teachers have not received a pay rise for two years. Oh, goodness me. Stuart Little, New South Wales Public Servant Association, Service Association secretary, stressed that it is absolutely unacceptable to hand down a 0.3% pay rise. 0.3%. <laughs> yeah, effectively a way cut this year with a limit of 1.5% in future for New South Wales public sector workers. They rarely heard speakers from the Independent Teachers Union, the Australian Workers Union, the Australian Services Union, the ETU and the Australian Salaried Medical Officers Federation. Oh, good on them for standing up and, and saying this isn't good enough because that's not bloody good enough. That's yeah. disgusting. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much... Um, like consistent across the entire public service of Australia. Things are being cut, no one's being paid enough, and we're in the middle of a recession, yes. so it's just going to be making things worse. And like that's uh, really <laughs> that's really what's supposed to be the function of a government in a recession, to be able to stimulate the economy because <laughs> God knows the capitalists aren't going to do it. Yeah. Uh, and instead, well, they're, they're running the government like a business, of course. They're trying yeah, to make yeah. as much profit as possible. Exactly. So not paying anyone anything. And it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Because that's, you know, we're in that stage of late stage capitalism. Um, and yeah, the government is so deeply in bed with with the capitalists that yeah, as you said, that they're, they're they're treating it like a business. And unless we you know pump, we want that money back in the economy, so we need to pay workers properly. Otherwise, well, as we know, it's just gonna it's just gonna keep getting worse. And if we want that money back in the economy, we well, God knows the government's not going to do it, so we're going to have to fight for it ourselves. Yes. And uh, rallies are the first step to that, yep. I guess. Yep, stand up, fight back. But obviously rallies, they're just people making a lot of noise. If we want to put actual pressure on the government, we need people to go on strike, take yes. direct action in the workplace, threaten the boss's profits, threaten the government's profits. Yep, strike, strike, strike. We'll Don't sit down and take it. actual results. Yay, let's do that. <laughs> that would be great. Because, yeah, this can't go on for too much longer. It's all heading downhill and we don't want that. Yeah, and um, that's why I really like the United Workers Union because we saw Ooh. they actually go on strike. Yeah. <laughs> they went on strike 10 days and they got a 6% pay rise. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. I loved that story. It made my day. It was great. So now we're going to move on to some international workers' action where we have some news from the Zapatistas in Mexico. Um, yes, so this is a statement which was released last Saturday. As men, women, boys, girls and grandparents of the indigenous communities Nasavi, Mefa, Nahua, Namku, Mestizos and Afro-Mexicans of the state of Guerrero, we are organised in the Indigenous and Popular Council of Guerrero Emiliano Zapata, C-I-P-O-G-E-Z, together with our brother people of the peasant organisation of the Southern Sierra. We do not forget our mur murdered people. We do not forget how they have repressed us again and again. We do not forget how the bad PRI, PAN, PRD and now Moreno government make fun of us again and again. They think that the most important thing is to fool us with their so-called work tables or they sit some officials to tell us lies that if this is going to be solved that if that is going to be solved, time goes by and they don't solve anything. And they think, that, they think that this way they already made fun of us and they laugh. They think we are stupid and ignorant. On the other hand, they make their plans to kill us as soon as they can. They make themselves accomplices with paramilitary chiefs, narco-paramilitaries, landowners, assassins and anyone else who is willing to control our territories and who does not care about life in any of its meanings. 
This is what they do to us in Guerrero, and this is what they are doing to our brothers in the CNI CIG throughout the country. This is what they are doing in Chiapas against our brothers in the autonomous Zapatista communities. They are shooting at everyone of all ages, burning down their coffee warehouses and destroying their economy, invading and fencing their lands and provoking hunger. And they are slandering them with lies. And our Zapatista brothers have shown a lot of patience not to fall for all these provocations that are not new. For years, decades, they have been doing the same thing to them and nothing will stop them. By maintaining impunity for these crimes, the government is only giving power to the paramilitaries. And they have made us like CIPOGEZ. It is exactly the same strategy in the same forms, only in Guerrero. Besides the paramilitaries who kill us, they are also drug traffickers, and that is why we call them narco-paramilitaries. But it is exactly the same formula that the bad governments use to destroy our organisation just as they do to our Zapatista brothers and also to other indigenous peoples all over Mexico. We know this because we have heard it from their own voice in the National Indigenous Congress, and this has not stopped. It gets worse. Mr L Lopez Obrados wants to see us dead because we are in the way of his plans for the country that he wants. But in that country, there is no room for us. He says that he obeys the people, but it is not true that he has only learned how to keep some people happy while others are effed, because he's been there for two years now. It's not that he just walked in. He already knows well and has known our Zapatista brothers well since before, and now he does nothing. He ignores them, and even and before he even took pictures with them, he only used them as he has used the people, to like them and say that he is a good person. And it's not that I don't know. It has been said and always been said clearly in the names of the criminals. In Guerrero, the narco-military bosses who murdered 18 of our grassroots comrades, promoters, delegates and councilmen of CIPOGEZ and CNICIG are still free, attacking us and laughing at us. They also know well who they are and do nothing to bring justice to the families and punish all those responsible. And here only two things happen. Either they are accomplices, well organised amongst themselves from all levels of government, or they are accomplices, letting them kill us so as not to deal with our demands. Any case equally cruel, inhuman and contrary to their so-called so legality and so-called human rights. The only thing they are achieving is that with so much mockery, with so much repression, with so much contempt and killings, that we are losing the fear of dying. They are killing us anyway, and nobody does anything. Neither governments nor international organisations. Nothing. Nobody. Kill us like animals and nothing happens. We die of malnutrition and nothing happens. We die in the hands of crime and nothing happens. And if we lie, let AMLO tell us clearly how the investigations of our 18 murdered brothers and sisters are going. The truth is that he doesn't care. Now he dines in big palaces and it is easy for him to tell Encinas or Adelfo, trick them into helping you and they get tired and don't bother anymore. Because our Zapatista brothers and sisters of the EZLN are not alone, they are not alone. We have decided to break the narco-parliamentary siege that has been imposed on us for more than a year in our communities and the local, state and federal governments have ignored our pain and our deaths. We will demand a stop to the war against the Zapatista communities and the National Indigenous Congress. Stop the war against CIPOGEZ. They think we are beggars and they entertain us with crumbs, but we want justice now. We have been patient to go and sit and watch, the, watch their faces as they mock us, but we've had enough and there's nothing left to do but go out and die. If their spo spoiled narco-paramilitary paramilitary groups are going to murder us, let the world know. We will break the narco-paramilitary siege next Wednesday, November 18, 2020, exactly at noon. We will be taking the Chilpancingo Tlapa Highway at the height of the community of Papaxla in the municipality of Chilapa del Alvarez. Yes, so tomorrow they're going to be taking over a highway, it seems. Yes, that's, wow, it's a very, very powerful, um, powerful message they've put out. 
And yeah, so that's that'll be probably Wednesday night for us, I assume. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. So um, this wasn't the Zapatistas, as I said at the start, but uh, people who obviously work with them, the Council of Guerrero, um, Indigenous and Popular Council of Guerrero, Emiliano Zapata. Um, so they are a separate but similar Indigenous military type organization who are being murdered by the um by the friends of the Mexican government the narco paramilitary groups and it looks like they're going to be making some moves tomorrow and it'll be and like if you want to see how they're going search them up have a give them a follow on whatever platform they're on and um I'll try and remember to see if I can give an update next week as well. Yeah, that would be good. I'm really, really curious to see how that goes. So a big, big solidarity from us here at Workers' Power. Um, That sounds like horrible stuff they've been putting up for for way too long. So I hope they have a successful action. Yeah, uh, the uh, Zapatistas and these kinds of groups are really... um, They... Uh, sort of a guiding uh, group of people. They're, they, they're some of the most advanced revolutionary societies in the world, really. Like, they've got whole towns, areas of Mexico underneath their control. At least the Zapatistas uh, or the CNICIG do. I'm not too sure what the C-I-P-O-G-E-Z is, what their deal is, but I imagine they've got a lot of similar stuff going on. Yeah, wonderful. That's great. We could probably learn some stuff from them. Yes, so we have a few events that are happening around Mianjin in the next week. So one on... This is on Saturday at 10am. This looks like a really one, really good one to get along to. I might try to get my kids along myself. It's the BLM Markets. So, yes, Saturday, 10am, Musgrave Park. And that's hosted by um, Black Lives Matter Mianjin. Uh, there'll be a reggae festival, markets uh, and community day to honour the 1982 Commonwealth Games protests. And that runs until 4pm. So if you haven't got anything planned for for Saturday morning, or even if you do, just ditch those plans and get along to this because <laughs> it looks awesome. <laughs> Yeah, so if you want to support some Indigenous businesses as well as have a bit of fun, I guess. Yeah, you can probably pick up some cool Chrissy presents. Oh, yeah, Christmas is coming up. Very, very quickly, comrade. So, yeah, yeah this would be an awesome place. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to try to get along to this, actually. Mm-hmm. I think I might be able to find some pretty cool stuff and there'll be music and food. I love market. And where was food. that again? Musgrave Park, of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> 10 till 4 p.m. On Saturday, yes. So get along to that one. Uh, we also have on Sunday, we have a Solidarity Sunday Faith Vigil, Free the KP120. So that's at 721 Main Street, Kangaroo Point. Uh, yeah, Sunday, as I said, that runs from 4.30 until 5.30. So get along to that and join the people of faith and goodwill and a prayer and meditation vigil this Sunday from yeah, 4 till 3 till 5.30 in support of freedom for the, for the men who are locked up inside. Um, they're going to gather at Wormsley and Main Street's Kangaroo Point to stand in solidarity with friends uh, indefinitely detained at Kangaroo Point, lament our government's cruelty and join together to pray for just and humane policies towards all those who seek safety. So I'm sure you don't really have to be particularly religious to get along to that one, but... um. Yeah. yeah, but you know, if you're a person of faith, this might be of interest with you. Yeah, definitely. It's always yeah. nice to have God on our side and the struggle for freedom for refugees. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> no, that sounds that sounds like a, a lovely one to get along to. Um, and we have another event on Saturday. If you don't get along to the BLM markets, um, or you can probably go to this one a bit early because it starts at nine a.m. until twelve p.m. On Saturday, as I said, it's the Walk to Halt Domestic Violence, and that is meeting at Karina Library. 
Yes, so in the lead up to the 16 days of activism against gendered violence, you're invited to join uh, the Walk to Halt Domestic Violence and the Small Steps for Hannah team as they walk from the Karina Library to Hannah's Place, Camp Hill at 9am on Saturday the 21st of November. Please wear a touch of pink in honour of Hannah Clark and her three children. Please register for this via the Find Tickets link, which uh, is available if you go on Facebook and look up Walk to Halt Domestic Violence. Uh, it should pop up. Yeah, and this is of uh, some special relevance given the story we read out earlier in the show about violent, the sexual assaults and other violence against Uber drivers. Um, yes, let's just stop Stop it, please, everybody. <laughs> That's all I can say on it right now. But, um, yeah, we've had enough of domestic violence and sexual violence. and More yeah. importantly, we need to organise against it. Yes, and this is a small step in that direction, I think. So get along, have a good, good walk, and then head over to the markets and buy some Christmas stuff. And while we're talking about events, let's uh, give you a reminder that the Anti-Poverty Network Queensland has launched a campaign to boycott, uh, calling for a boycott of Australia's self-proclaimed job queen, Serena Russo. Ugh, yuck. Uh, so this is just the first step against a, uh, an, a strategy to take down the entire job active system because the system is not designed to help unemployed people but to punish and dehumanise them, all the while funnelling public funds into grubby private hands. It's time we organise and fight back. And uh, we'll just read out the first few steps in how to do that. So um, step one is to visit jobsearch.gov.au slash service providers and decide what job agency you'd like to transfer to. APN Queensland can help you with recommendations, so if you want to contact them, you can go to their Facebook page and send a message. Um, and then step two is to call the department's customer service line, which is 1-800-805-260, and request a transfer to a different agency. They are able to transfer you on the spot. Step three, if you have any difficulties, please contact APN on 0448-875-043 or Jaden Owl, uh, Jaden, J-A-Y-D-E-N-O-W at gmail.com. And they have people already, and they've already helped many people transfer job agencies. We also ask that anyone who plans to participate in the boycott to get in contact with uh, APN to help in bringing people together to organize against job active and serena on local levels remember that job active wants to help wants to beat us down and convince us that we're not that we're alone and weak and unable to stand up against them but when we stand up together our strength is immeasurable and more than enough to tear this wretched system down yes and it's very important to understand that you do have the right to change job network providers they can do it you know pretty much on the spot so if you are with serena russo yeah, follow those steps that Jackson just read out and boycott them and let them know that they, yeah, they can't, they can't push us down or around or anywhere for that matter. Yes, and uh, while we're talking about events, let's just have a quick reminder on this Friday at midday, the NTU is holding a rally in support of Griffith staff and protesting the actions of the government and the university Yes. defund the arts as well as just defund universities in general. Yes, that's happening over at the Big Wheel uh, at South Bank. So get along there at midday on Friday. Lots of, yeah, lots of stuff to get to at the end of the week. Yeah, so you're listening to Workers' Power. We're coming towards the end of the show. Um, yeah. Now's, thing, now it's time for what everyone's been waiting <laughs> for, the world-famous Scallywag of the Week. Yeah, we like to hook yous in and make yous hang around till the very end so you can get it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scallywag of the Week. Mining billionaire Andrew Twiggy Forrest has, has revealed himself as being de facto in charge of the federal government's cashless debit card policy with his foundation telling a Senate committee that a national working group to support a countrywide rollout was established at its request. 
The existence of the CDC Technology Working Group has been known since March. It includes major banks, ANZ, CBA, NAB and Westpac, as well as Australia Post, Coles, Metcash and Woolworths. But in a submission to a parliamentary review, Forrest Mindaroo Foundation offshoot Generation One confirms it's originated with them. Mining magnate Twiggy Forrest is the architect of the scheme itself, following his 2014 recommendation of a healthy welfare card. With his foundation executives, which his foundation executives gave evidence at yesterday's Senate hearing that Generation One and the Mindaroo Foundation are leading the development of the policy and pushing for its nationwide rollout. Australian Unemployed Workers Union spokesperson Kristen O'Connell said the arrangement is just another example of the federal government abdicating all of its responsibility for things it does not care about and handing them to the wealthiest people in this country. It does not surprise me that Twiggy has been given full control of this process, she said. They are treating people as an extractive industry. Twiggy has no expertise in social services and no understanding of how violence and poverty works. By allowing Twiggy control of this process, the government is setting a precedent that it is okay to hand over enormous influence to very wealthy people who are not accountable to the general public. And due to this, Mr Andrew Twiggy Forrest, and I think the government as well, really, I think it's a double whammy, this one. Just the entire ruling class while we're at it. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) You're all scallywags and we've had enough. This This story is really scary. We've known it was coming, but yeah. Yeah, it's um, honestly not that surprising when you think about what the cashless debit card is. It's only if, like, no one who actually had any idea what it's like to be poor would have come up with this. Oh, God, no. It's absolutely just, yeah, it's atrocious. It's horrible. Um, And it really comes back to what we were talking about before. I can't remember what story it was about. But, um, yeah, they're just a deeply entwined relationship that the government has with the ruling class. It's just glaringly obvious (laughs) with this story. I mean, for the most part, the government is made up of members of the capitalist class. Well, yes, exactly. So they have their own interests at heart. As, As we can see from this, they really don't give two craps about the working class, particularly if you're um, out of work and if you're on if you're on um, Centrelink benefits, yeah, they're going to chuck us chuck us all on these horrible cards, which don't even work half the time, from what I gather. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the main point is to just funnel the um, welfare money back into the corporations that they want the money to go to, instead of going towards things like farmers markets and independent businesses. Yeah, it's a new age nepotism, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so that's um, yeah, that's disgusting, and I don't know. Was yeah, Anti Poverty Network has a lot to do around this. Yeah, um, had that huge uh, rampage day a little while ago. Yeah, we need some more rampage days. We all need to get out there <laughs> and rampage against this because if you know, if, if even if you're not on the cashless debit card, like you could you end could up be. being on. Yeah, I mean, this will if they if it goes the way they goes the way they want, it'll be rolled out to everyone in Australia. Mm. Yeah, except for them. Because <laughs> they have all, you know, they'll just sit on their piles of gold. Yeah, and like the groups of people, the, the ANZ, Commonwealth Bank, NAB, Westpac, Austra- Australia Post. <laughs> so I know, what's, what's with that? <laughs> that just shows that they're becoming a corporation. Yeah, well, they've been scallywags lately, haven't they? Yeah. Australia Post. Coles and Woolworths, and I haven't heard of Metcash before, but no. <laughs> given their name, just another big corporation. Yeah, can I use the word conspiracy? Because I just, you know, <laughs> I know, I don't like to use that well, word. No, conspiracy. But are hidden they're just yeah true that is the they're just doing it right in front of our faces <laughs> they're all getting together and going how can we screw over poor people as much as possible yeah and get it's all the money and just yeah exactly absolute scumbags from them um so yeah the, the congratulations andrew forrest for winning this week's scallywag of the week you absolute grub and now we have come to the end of our show. We hope you have enjoyed it. Uh, and 
we will be going to a to finish to finish uh, sorry stay tuned to listen to brisbane lines coming up right after us for some more professional news <laughs> <laughs> um and we're going to to take us out we're going to listen to crisis by worker and parasite see you next week comrades believe, believe me believe me believe me believe me believe me i can't be more blunt about it Stop it. And I've got to say, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Hi, this is Brooke from Black Wraparound. Fridays at 12 on Radio Skid Row. We're community radio friends of the 4ZZZ family. I know you fellas are just as sick at the mainstream media circus as I am. So why not help keep a cousin station alive by donating to Grassroots Radical Radio? Go to startsomegood.com slash Radio Skid Row 2020.